What's going on, guys? In this episode, we talked to Justin Castelli. He is the founder and financial advisor at RLS Wealth. He's the co-founder of the advisor growing community, and he's the founder of Pursuit, which has been around for about three months now, and it was awesome hearing him talk about it. In this episode, we really didn't hold back from anything. I mean, we touched on compensation models, what it's like to be in the feeling community, what Justin thinks about growing a practice, what the best ways are to do it, the best ways to outreach, how he grew organically. And he talks about some of his mentors and the advice that he was given as well. This is not a podcast that you guys want to miss, so I'm glad you're here listening. Without further ado, Justin Costelli. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the Only Fee Only podcast. I am joined by my co-host Peter Chiravolo and Justin Castelli. Uh, As you guys know, this podcast is all about talking to advisors about their practice, sharing the wealth of knowledge, and uh, everybody gets better. So Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Brock and Peter, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it since you asked. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and we are honored. Justin is numero uno, so this is going to be the first one that drops. And uh, we were we were decidedly um, we decided that you had to be the first one on. So if you don't mind, man, just give us a little bit of background on you and um, kind of share how you got to got to where you are now. For sure. Well, first off, it was smart starting with me because it can only go uphill from here. So <laughs> that is very smart. I know some of the other people you've interviewed, and it only get it better. Um, but yeah, so. My name again is Justin Costelli. Uh, I've been a financial advisor for hard to believe almost 18 years. So straight out of college. And the the short story for me is I went to Franklin College, which is a small school south of Indianapolis to play basketball. And I went there thinking I would go to law school. I majored in econ. And then I met my wife going into my senior year and decided I didn't want to go to law school, that she was somebody special. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And this is when I look back in life and just say, man, I was extremely lucky because I could have wandered down a path of just not knowing and trying different things and being unhappy. But I did some networking the summer after I graduated, met with a few financial advisors and realized that was a job I wanted to give a try. And I just went old school, dropping resumes off at um, offices around town and ultimately ended up at a, a firm that was an insurance-based firm to get started. And then just like many of the guests you're going to have on here, the, the typical financial advisor path is you bounce around a little while and you learn. You learn you learn the business, you learn how to get into sales, you learn how to build a business, and then you learn about the type of financial advisor you want to be. And that's the journey I went on. Stopped at a bank, stopped at a large firm that did 403B business, so retirement plans for teachers. And that's where I spent the bulk of my career. I got my CFP designation. And that was where I realized one day I wanted to go out on my own. Um, so I, I, I took that position as an opportunity to find people who would view me as their financial advisor. And then hopefully one day as I navigated the non-compete world would want to continue to work with me and keep working with me. So I spent time there. And then I actually was going to be leaving to start my firm and pivoted at the last moment and joined an independent firm in town for two years and then ultimately launched my firm. When I launched in 2015, the name of the firm was RL Wealth Management, uh, named after my boys, Roman and Leo. And I had to rebrand a few years later because we had Silas, our third Mm -hmm. child. So RLS Wealth is named after the boys, Roman, Leo, and Silas. There's nothing um, creative behind it to the financial planning world. You know, they're my world, they're everything about me. And I, I, that was the hardest part about starting my company is what am I going to name it? Um, and to me, that was just perfect for me and I love it. 
No, that's awesome, man. So yeah, it's really interesting to hear uh, what people name their firm after too. Um, you know, some people it's initials, some people it's something more generic. So it's really cool when someone has a passion for it. And I know that's what you're all about with the pursuit and your brand with that. So, I mean, growing up, you never really thought that you were going to be a business owner. Um, and what motivated you to get into doing your own firm is also just the way that it is being a fee-only planner. Um, but what motivates you today um, to continue to build um, and also spread the word of the fee-only community? Yeah. And actually, I'll go back. Um, the reason I started my firm was there were things I wanted to do, people I wanted to work with, that I realized I could only do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that was very instrumental in my career was the 403B company I worked at was owned by AIG. And I worked there during the financial crisis. And I kid you not, the AIG did a big rebrand of this company so Valak is the name of the company. Mm-hmm. And it was around for 50 plus years. Teachers loved Valak. They knew the name. AIG went through this big rebrand called AIG uh, Retirement, dropped the Valak. And then like three months later, AIG takes a bailout. And teachers were upset. And I didn't lose any of my clients, but you caught a lot of heat, understandably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I learned from that was I never wanted to be in a position where somebody else could mess up my business. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, Valak didn't do anything wrong. It was AIG and the insurance, you know, contracts they were writing that got us in trouble, got the company in trouble that spilled down on me. So that was one of the things that made me think, all right, I don't want to go, I don't want to be in a position for somebody else to impact it. I also realized I didn't want to be in a position where somebody else could control my compensation. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I made good money at, at Valak, really good money. And I knew that any time they could change the commission schedule, they could change my territory, they could take things away, and that could impact me and my financial security, and I didn't want that. So that was, that was what led me down the independent path. And then when I, the reason I left the independent firm was I just wanted to work with younger professionals, and I couldn't, so I had to go do it on my own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys and keep it real. The only reason I went fee-only out the gate was because in order to affiliate with a broker-dealer to do the term insurance I would do for young professionals, I'd have to give up like 20 30% revenue for something that I really wasn't going to do a lot of. So if I, would have found a fir- if I would have found a way to be able to keep my insurance license to be able to do some term and some disability, right out the gate I probably would have because I wasn't set on being fee-only because fee-only is the righteous way. I would just set out the only because it was easiest and clean and allowed me to get started and keep as much of my revenue as possible. And I'm really thankful to have the two of you in town because now I have somewhere to go. Before I was using you know, third parties and I would send people off and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't as good as the relationship I have with the two of you. Um, so I went to fee only because it was the easiest, cleanest. Um, and I stay there just because I don't do a lot of insurance and it's nice to just be able to refer that out to people who are going to take care of it and take real good care of my clients so I can focus on the things that I enjoy. Um, I say that I know this is the fee only podcast and I know it's a question further down, but I'll just tease it right now. I think one of the things that I will always come back to is I think there are multiple ways that we can serve clients and that I don't think fee only is the best. Fee only has its own conflicts that advisors like to pretend don't exist. Um, and I do think it is very good. I think it's one of the more transparent ones, but it's not without its conflicts. Go, go I, into that, Justin, because I, I think you hit something really important there. I want to I hear more about that. Yeah. So 
as far as what the conflict is, you know, if, if I'm fee only in the traditional AUM model, we can talk subscription stuff as well, but I have an incentive to gather assets. And I know there are advisors out there that tout being fee only and that they are without conflict and they're the, the best advisors out there, mm-hmm. but yet they are moving assets to them that may be better off from a fee standpoint somewhere else. And maybe their clients could handle some recommendations and execute it on their own. Not to say it's bad, but that is a conflict in that I am I make more money by bringing assets to my firm. So it's not that we're without conflict in the fee-only world. It's just that there's fewer conflicts. And mm-hmm. a lot of advisors like to make it seem like fee-only is the purest way and there are no conflicts. There aren't. Also, you know, there is a place for whole life insurance in some financial plans. I was a fee-only advisor. I can't offer that. And maybe I won't explore that, even though it might be right for that client's wishes and goals and needs. So there's a conflict there that I might not make a recommendation that's best in that situation. So every every business model has a conflict. What I think is more important is the transparency behind, well, how am I compensated? What are my incentives? What are my conflicts? And if an advisor wants to work or if a client wants to work with a transactional advisor, because that's what they want and they understand it, and they're okay with what the value is for what they're getting, who am I to say that that's wrong? Because at the end of the day, an advisor's job is to help their clients reach their goals. We should do it in a way that's the most efficient and the most cost-effective, but that doesn't mean, if at the end of the day, if a client reaches their goals, lives a great life, passes on money the way they want to, and they paid a little bit more because they valued that advisor and they understood it, is that wrong? I don't know. Like, who am I to judge? Um, so I really mm-hmm. go back and forth on that. I think that's hard uh, because I wish as advisors we all got along and we said, hey, it, people want different types of service. They want different types of relationships. So instead of us nitpicking and you know complaining and belly aching and highlighting why we're better than the other, let's just say, hey, here's how I operate. Here's how I roll. Here's the client that seemed to like that. And if this fits you, let's have a conversation. If not, if you want a different service model, you know, I know another advisor in town that works on that model. Let me make that introduction. Because at the end of the day, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I want what's best for you. I want you to have a good experience. If that's me, outstanding. If not, that's cool as well. Because as long as that client has a good relationship and a good experience, they're going to think financial advisors are good. And whether that is with me or with somebody else, that's good for my profession. And if it's good for my profession, that's good for me. A rising tide lifts all boats. So yeah. you got me on one of my soapboxes early on. I think that's really important. I mean, you know, educating the client and just letting them know. I think some people, they're stuck in their beliefs and everyone's going to be in their, you know, have their own beliefs. But letting individuals know um, everything in a certain scenario, it is also your job to let them know, hey, these are the pros, these are the cons. Many people, they don't want to look at some things because that's they're stuck in their own beliefs. So I think that's awesome that you bring that point up to really be open and, you know, be educational. Yeah, because I was nervous you, to do it because I know it's the fee-only podcast, but I also know you guys are transparent yep. and you're up front and you're, you're honest. Yep. So it's an honest conversation uh, <laughs> that obviously for you, the fee-only advisor is great because you can, you can meet that advisor's needs, help their clients, and it's a great relationship. So there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, subscription model I mentioned, I think that falls under the fee only world as well. And, you know, how do you determine what is the right subscription? And is every client getting that subscription worth of the advisor's time throughout the course of the year? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. The, the, the tough thing about what we do as advisors is there isn't a perfect model. 
Mm-hmm. If you wanted to go the hourly route, advisors can fudge on the hours. Clients may not call because they don't want to be billed hourly. Like there's no perfect model. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why waste all of our time and energy as a profession arguing with each other and you know trying to use your business model, whatever it might be, as your marketing advantage and rather just say, hey, this is how I operate. Here's the reasons why. These are my beliefs as an advisor as to why this is best. And let the people who want that relationship to come and just really make the arguments about don't screw people over. As long as you're not Mm -hmm. screwing people over, then however you want to charge, if your clients like that, that's okay as long as they're being taken care of. No, I think that's a good point. I think that actually Peter and I have had the conversation before. It's like fee only. Absolutely. You know, is there is there less conflicts of interest? Is it a different conflict of interest? But if you are charging AUM in a way, you could quote unquote, call it a type of commission, right? More assets Mm -hmm. under management you have, the more you get paid bottom line. And then that's that's the interesting part is because when you talk about the subscription, quote unquote, model, everybody wants to talk about, well, that's pure. There's no AUM. But then it's like you bring up a good point. What's the value actually look like? Right. For the individuals that are provi- providing the subscription model. So I think the, the best policy is always transparency. You, you didn't ask, but my favorite model, if I was if I was going to start my business over from scratch and this is what I'm doing with any new clients I take on, which is not very many. I would do a subscription model with a small AUM. And the reason I really like that is you can separate out the subscription is for the planning, the counseling, the advice. And then the AUM is for the investment management. And that way, there's no un, no misunderstanding of what they're paying for, what it is. It's really easy to follow. Um, but you know, the, the business has been the way it's been for so long. And out of sight, out of mind is very easy. So AUM um, fits. It's a lot like taxes. Like People don't really realize how much they pay in taxes because it comes out of payroll. Yep. Um, and it would be really hard for me, and I think there would be some – instances where a subscription model for my retiree clients would be the wrong thing because their cash flow may not allow them to pay a subscription month to month. So now I'm going to have them take a distribution from their IRA, pay taxes on it to pay me. When if we just stick to the AUM, there's no taxes, they get to pay me tax-free. So I think that's a regulatory thing. I would love to see them fix the language to say retirement accounts can pay for both financial planning and investment management because then you could do a subscription bill and an AUM bill to an IRA account, which you can't do today. And the the reality of it is that's what advisors are doing. Um, I think regulators just need to accept that and just let that go. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you and you and Taylor Schulte, you guys created the AGC, which I think is an awesome thing. And I, by the way, man, I talk to fee-only planners all the time. Nobody has a bad thing to say about it, which I think is awesome. And I've talked to people from California and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I know the AGC. And I'm like, Caselli, awesome guy. Talk to me a little bit about like where that idea came from, how you guys decided to do it and, and kind of what that gives advisors and, and kind of just what you've seen the, the impact be like from the AGC. The AGC is amazing, not because of Taylor and I, it's because of the people that are in it. Um, and that's being truthful. Um, it, the AGC is, however, one of the things that I will look back on my career when I get old and be really proud of. And just proud of the fact that Taylor and I created the space for it to grow and for it to be what it is. So back in 2019 is when it started. Um, I actually reached out to Taylor. We knew each other from Twitter, but very, very little. Um, I wanted to do a newsletter. I was you know, fascinated with branding and creating your personal brand and Taylor's the go-to expert when it comes to marketing. So I thought 
what if we do like a, a monthly e- a monthly email newsletter for advisors combining your marketing, my branding, and sell that as a service and do a monthly newsletter together? Like that'd be pretty cool. And he said, I like that idea. He said, but what do you think about a community? And I don't know why he thought to ask me about the community, but as soon as he said that, I was all in. And I was actually, in the experimentation that I've done with my firm at that time, I was thinking of trying to build a niche working with entrepreneurs. And one of the things I hope would be the long-term game on that relationship would be building a community of RLS Wealth entrepreneur clients, that that community was so strong that people wanted to be a part a part of it, but the gatekeeper was my firm. So I was already thinking about building a community, and what I realized was it wasn't for entrepreneurial clients, it was for entrepreneurial financial advisors. High level, the reason it's so cool is if you think about it, historically, financial advisors have been competitors. Me versus you. This is a community of over 160 advisors across the globe. We've got advisors in the UK and in India and Canada, in addition to the US, that are collaborating. The whole premise of it is we want to be a community where advisors can come together to grow professionally and personally. And in this Mm -hmm. community, you have people asking questions, making referrals, sharing documents that they've created and used with their clients with other advisors to help them move forward. It goes back to my desire that... I just want the, the advisor community to get together and put together a unified front for clients. So in the community, we have new advisors, older advisors, CFP, non-CFP, fee-only, commission, insurance. But like, The only requirement is you have to be a financial advisor. CRD number is all we check. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what stage of your career, what your business model is. We do a check to make sure there's not a whole bunch of dis, uh, disputes on your ADP. <laughs> Right. Um, and there are like they make sense and like because we know that if you're in the business for 20 years, there's a chance that someone might complain. But if it is a legitimate one that got settled with no payments, then that's just OK. Somebody complained and it's OK. Um, but it, it's phenomenal. And we have guest speakers who come in. But really what makes the, com- the community thrive, it's the ability for people to engage with each other. And that was one of the things Taylor and I learned was that if we removed ourselves from doing everything that the community would be stronger because it's the people getting together. So we have people meeting up on their own. We've had firms launch out of there. We've had uh, advisors join together to create firms. It's just been really, really cool. And now we're starting to take efforts outside of the community. So we have a one step forward program that that kind of helped lead get started, but it's, it's community driven, which is our diversity inclusion. I just hate that terminology um, because it seems so like check the box. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. One step forward is, you know, trying to make our profession move one step forward, look more like the the country, look more like the clients we serve, not the traditional business that it's been. And we did a mentorship program with Michigan State students that are from traditionally underrepresented communities in the advisor field. And we're, we, we kind of like piloted that, and then we're going to take it to more uh, universities and try to have this connection between the advisor field and the students trying to recruit good students, diverse students to the profession. Um, and then the other cool thing we're doing and we can move past the AGC is we're writing a book. And this is really, really cool. Uh, one of our members came up with the idea. And what the book is, it's a collection of stories from advisors that are kind of about clients. So it's all um, anonymous. Clients aren't going to see their names in there and it's not too um, specific. But the goal was to create a book for not for advisors, but for consumers. So consumers mm-hmm. can see what true financial planning looks like, 
what outcomes can be and that financial advisors really are people who care about clients. And we were going to self-publish this, but we actually got a book deal with Harriman House, which Harriman House is like wow. the go-to publisher for, for finance. Like Morgan Housel books are mm -hmm. um, Harriman House, Phil Huber's book, um, uh, all, Larry Swedrow, like all of the finance books are on Harriman House. So we have 29 advisors that next year, because of the publishing time, will be published authors from the AGC. And then 100% of proceeds go to charity. So we're not wow. even like... The AGC is not making money. The advisors aren't making money. All of the money is going back to the profession um, and to organizations that are for financial planning. So it's really cool. Yeah, man, that's incredible. And I have to give a shout out to Shauna too. She is the the leader of that, and she's the one who made the connection with Harriman House and pushed everything forward. So uh, I actually I feel kind of guilty because Taylor and I get to be on the cover of the book as the curators. We're writing the intro, um, mm -hmm. but everybody else is, you know, the authors. And they'll, all, they'll all be in there, but uh, it's kind of like how I invest my money with Josh Brown and uh, Brian Portnoy. And you know, they kind of put things together, and they got the little bit of the limelight. But uh, Shauna is the one who made this whole thing happen, so she deserves credit on that. Uh, that's fantastic, man. Um, the, I, I think a while back I was actually on social media, and I saw somebody say, like, hey, Castelli, when's the book coming out or something like that? Yeah. And you're like, it's on its way. Yeah, so we um, and we actually had a cool little uh, accountability partnership with Carl Richards. Yep. So Taylor and I have gotten to know Carl, which is mind blowing, but pretty cool at the same time. Yep. So mm -hmm. we wrote him a check from the AGC for five thousand dollars, and we had to have our book done by March first, getting it accepted by a publisher, waive the the March first deadline. It was it was it was completed, um, and if we did not, he got to cash that five thousand dollar check. So we sent him a box. <laughs> It sits on his desk. Like if you watch some of Carl's videos, there'll be a red box and it has some writing on it, and the check is in there. It says "break if not if book isn't finished by March 1st. Um, so we'll keep an eye out for it. He's supposed to yeah he's supposed to tear, uh, tear that check up. But that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, man. So I, I want to touch on because I think a lot of people look at you and they're like, "Holy cow, social media following!" Um, and you, you're pushing 10,000 followers on Twitter. What was that kind of like? Because you're one of the people that's done a really good job with it. What was it like kind of building that following? And what was your strategy that you used? Because I think a lot of people are like, I need to get on the social media game. I need to be doing it. And I think you have an awesome creative side as well, the videos that you do with your son. Um, but what was it like kind of building that following? And, and what was your approach to that? People may not like to hear this, but I, ha I had no approach to it. And I think that's why I was successful. Um, I view Twitter as an opportunity to learn and network. And when I joined Twitter, I do think, I, I mean, I was earlier to Twitter. I wasn't one of the first financial guys on Twitter, but I was early enough. Um, like I think it's eight or nine years ago that I got on it. So like you guys weren't even in the profession yet. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a little bit of being there early, but what I remember when I got started was seeing Josh Brown, Ben Carlson, Michael Batnick, um, Bob C. Right, all these great writers and thinkers on Twitter. And I just remember following them and just thinking, man, one day, my goal was one day I want to earn the right to be like one circle below them. Um, like I don't want to ask to get there. I just want to be doing such a good job as an advisor, building my practice that because I'm doing a good job, I earn my right to go up there. But I never thought about Twitter as an opportunity to grow my business. And it's helped grow my business. Um, you know, I have clients that I can point to Twitter 
Um, I also have mm-hmm. received some accolades that I'm sure help that I can point to Twitter and social media helping me get there. But I had like, I had no plan or expectations for any growth. Um, and truthfully, I didn't even know I was close to 10,000 followers until a couple of weeks ago when some people were like, Hey, let's help me get to 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. And I almost wanted to go ask them to take that down because like, I don't care how many followers I get. That's not why I get on there. Sure. Um, so what I would tell somebody starting out or thinking about getting into social media, I think you should get on social media and you should engage. It could be a good business development for your business, depending on your niche and who you're attracting but it will connect you with great people. Like without social media, I wouldn't know the two of you. There right. would have been no way. I mean, and, and honestly, without social media, there's probably wouldn't be a way for you to grow your business. Um, you wouldn't know who all the fee-only advisors were. There wouldn't be a way to connect and build relationships. And there's a lot of benefit to networking with your peers in the profession. Um, and I can attest to that. Like yes. the wild thing is, you know, I mentioned knowing Carl Richards, going back to that circle of people that I looked up to when I first started doing all this, like I know them all now, like, and it mm-hmm. all happened genuinely and organically. Like I, I have never reached out to any of them and said, Hey, will you promote this blog? I've never sent anything to them. It started out with engaging and actually sharing their content. So one of the things I did early on, because I was struggling putting out content a lot is I did my mixtape, which is just curation. Hey, here, I, I read a lot. Here's a lot of great posts that I like, um, you might like. And then when I would post that mixtape every week, I didn't do it to say, hey, look at me. And maybe it ended up doing that. But I would tweet the mixtape was out and I would tag everybody that I included for the week. And I still do that today. And the reason I was tagging was not to say, look at me, Ben Carlson and Josh Brown. It was to say, hey, guys, I think you did a great job. I want you to know that I appreciate the work you did and I shared it. So um, I I would be lying if I didn't think that that put me on their radar a little bit. But it also was just done because I genuinely appreciated what they were doing and I wanted to tell them that was my way of telling them good job. Um, so I would say go into social media initially just to be social and engage and then start to find out how can you maybe use that to grow your business? Where are your ideal clients living? Maybe it's not mm-hmm. Twitter. Maybe it's LinkedIn and everybody wants to poo poo <laughs> LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's a great place to network <laughs> and so many people do bad job on, on LinkedIn that if you can figure out how to do it properly, I think you'll stand out. Um, so social media is going to be important. I think it used to be people would go look for your website. You still need a good website, but now people are going to go look for your social platforms. They're going to look for a Mm -hmm. blog, they're going to look for a podcast. They're going to look for what, what your thoughts are. So I think you need to figure out how are you going to do that? Where are you going to put it and, and be social because people are expecting that. Yeah, no, those are all great points. I think, um, really what you drive home is content, content, content. So, I mean, if you were a, a brand new planner starting out in 2022 or at the end of this year, and I know one of your great examples is actually with Thomas Kopelman building through content, but, uh, you know, what advice would you actually give to a new planner who's just starting out? Like, you know, you're starting with zero, you might even be in a new area, you don't have any connections, you know, you understand you need to do content, but like, what do you actually do? How do you reach out to these people? What's, what is going through your mind when you're writing posts and commenting? So um, I am a believer in content, and I think every advisor should be creating one form of content at minimum. But I also, for a new advisor, would say that can't be your only game plan. Um, it's got to mm-hmm. be a part of the strategy because content takes a while to build up. You know, Thomas is an anomaly. He came out the gate running, 
and did a great job. It, it he he ramped his up quicker than most people will. So I would say don't set that as your expectation. It is possible, but know that it's going to be a long game. And so I would say figure out the way you like to communicate best and start there. Are you a writer? Are you a speaker? Do you like video? Like find one area that you feel comfortable and then just start creating there and experiment. And don't look at your numbers. Don't look at the shares, views, likes, and all that stuff. That doesn't matter uh, because early on it's not going to be a lot. And if you focus on those metrics, then it's gonna you're going to get frustrated. You're going to give up. But if you're creating because you say, hey, I have I have knowledge to share. I want to educate people and do a little bit of entertainment and let people know who I am. If you lead with that and then consistently do it, good things will happen. And, and we can mm-hmm. point to a lot of people, and you'll have a, you will have a lot of guests on here that will point to that. But it, it takes time. Um, so I would say don't get overwhelmed. Don't try to do too much right away. Don't expect it to grow your business overnight right away, which means you have to find other ways to grow in the short term. You know, Paying your natural network if, if that's an option. Um, if not, you know, go back to the days of doing valuable seminars. Maybe don't you do the dinners, but find a creative way to get people yeah. who, who need to hear your message in a room or on a Zoom and educate. Lead with education. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I never ask. Like on my blog post, I never say click here to, to meet. My thought is if I create good content, bring value, someone will reach out to me. Like it's not hard to find my firm to reach out to me. I don't need to make an ask. And that's not necessarily what – Everybody will tell you to do, but that's my style, which I think leads to another thing is do what feels right and what feels comfortable to you. Because one of the things that I've learned over time and I've gotten a lot of feedback on is that my authenticity comes through in my content. Mm-hmm. And the only reason my authenticity comes through my content is because I'm only doing what I feel comfortable doing um, and what I'm enjoying to do. And that just that, that comes through. So if you're comfortable being a, a hard closer in your content, then do that. Uh, but if you're not, I don't feel like you have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, the only thing I think would would be hard in today's environment, but I'm sure somebody's out there having success doing it, is cold calling. And yeah. maybe that's I hated it. Yeah. Like when I had to do it early on, like we had call nights at the insurance firm. Mm-hmm. I'd lock myself in a room. I'd call my friends and just talk. Like I, I, yeah. I would lie on the numbers and I, I, I didn't call people because I just wasn't comfortable doing that. So I think that would be one of the hardest ones to do today. Um, but not to say you can't do it. But I think seminars would still work. Um, I also think as a young advisor, you know, ownership is great. And I want as many advisors who desire to own their firm to own their firm one day. But starting right out the gate, owning your firm may not be the right way to go. So mm-hmm. maybe part of your growth strategy is you find a good firm that aligns with your values where you can go get trained and you can learn. And maybe the pressure to grow right out the start isn't there. Um, and then maybe that's just a step along the way as you as you become an advisor, you understand more and then you can launch your own firm in the future. Or maybe you find out that, hey, this is a great setup. They give me freedom and flexibility. They support me br- building my own personal brand. And they take care of a lot of the headaches that come with firm ownership. Maybe I don't need to go. Um, so that's a lot of rambling. But I think there's a lot of things to, to think. I just – I don't ever want to become the guy – again, just like the, I don't want to be the guy who says fee only is the greatest, that you can't do things other way. I don't want to be the guy who says you can't grow a business successfully – without being on social media and without creating content. Mm-hmm. That's the only way for me. And that's the only way for a lot of people. But I think there are advisors that are doing it quietly without doing all of that and having a lot of success. So if you aren't that person, even though I think you should be creating content in one form, if that's not you and you're growing, then you're doing a great job. 
Um, I will say the, I'll, I'll conclude this with one thing. If, if starting over, and this is what I'm doing with pursuit, I would go email newsletter as my first thing I would try to build. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter Lazaroff is a great example of that. Who's I think he's CIO over at plan Corp, but he started with an email newsletter and just slowly grow, grew it. And the reason I like that is one, there is a level of intimacy when it comes to email. You know, if somebody says, yes, I want to get your email every, every week or every month, like they chose that. You didn't throw it in their face on their social media feed. So they want you to come talk to them. Mm-hmm. Secondly, that email newsletter, depending on how you structure, if you're at a firm, like you own that list and then you can pour, you can take that with you. You can do different things with it. You can offer different services. So I, I never did an email, uh, for RLS wealth. My all about your Benjamin's email was just to get the feed coming through you. But pursuit, I'm building with the podcast, but I'm not doing a blog. I'm just doing a weekly email, um, and I and I'll grow that. So I think email would be the the spot to go, and I would I would grow that organically, and I wouldn't throw people on it who don't want to be on it. You could just hey let her, let her go through your email list and say hey, I started this newsletter. It's going to be this frequency. This is what's what it's going to be like. Here's a link to the first one. No pressure if you want to sign up. Here's the link to sign up, and then just let people go on there. Um, so no, that's what I, I would throw as a starting spot. I think that's, I think that's awesome, man. It was, I think it was crazy for us because when we were first starting, we actually started in January of 2020. So that was an interesting time to <laughs> start a business for sure. But one of the things, like, I feel like coming from where I was, which is a similar to you is a big insurance company. Right. And I didn't know anything other than cold calling because they were like, that's what you have to do. Like, if you want to be successful, that's what you have to do. And by the way, if you want to share anything on social media, you can choose from these five articles. So you don't even have any like creative ability to go out and do your own thing because you're so kind of boxed in by what you're allowed to do. So that's the beautiful thing about having your own firm in practice is that you you have the decision to be able to go out there, create the content you want, be creative in a way that works for you, which is to your point, right? Um, but one of the things I want to touch on, because we went to XYPN Live last year, and I, I'm going to make it a point to ask everybody that we talk to this, at least that's been a part of that community or knows about that community. They do a study, and essentially, um, out of the, the first-year advisors, it's basically like you're going to make... $14,000 your first year. Gross what revenue. Do you think, gross revenue. And so it's like, but a lot of the advisors that we talk to, including XYPN advisors, that's not what they're doing. They're doing a lot more than that. Um, and, you know, when I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I'm doing it. You know, I'm creating content. I'm doing a newsletter. What are your thoughts on sometimes you just have to buck up and contact the natural market and make some phone calls and like, just make it work until you can get it going. And then you can be more selective about the ways that you want to reach out. Oh, I, I totally, if, if, if you're not growing fast enough, then it's by any means necessary within like, within reason, but yeah. cold call mm-hmm. seminars, you know, I, I never had any issues, um, working with friends. Now I never hit my friends up, but it, I know some advisors don't want to work with friends and kind of blur that relationship. But, you know, Carl Richards has a saying, and I don't know if he came up with it and I always butcher it. I should memorize it by now, but basically when it comes to having these conversations with friends or hitting your natural market, if you have a service that you believe will change somebody's life or help them, then you have a duty to let them know it. So it's, it, you have a duty to let your friends know, Hey, 
you know, I'm doing, I'm a financial advisor. I help people with their money. It's just figuring out how do you have that conversation? How do you let them know that is, is a way that you're comfortable with it? So for me, it was just like, hey, put my, put my content on my social media feeds and letting any of my friends who want to read it, read it. And if they want to watch, they want to reach out, they can. Um, so, you no, know, Brock, I think you're exactly right. You can't, you can't fail at your business because you're waiting for the content social media game, which we know takes time to take time. Right. So you've got to do those things. And then to your point, if you start to grow and you're at a point where you can grow a little slower, then you can afford to not do those things, then then you could go. But I think you you need to be prepared to do both. I I had the luxury of I had clients who followed me when I launched my firm. Now, it wasn't a lot. When I finished, so I launched in 2015. At the end of 2015, I want to say I had less than 30 clients and $7 million in AUM. So not a huge amount, uh, but it also was not zero. And I use savings to bridge that gap and, you know, what we all do to get going. And then by the end of year two, I forget the number of clients, but I remember the ADV was at 14 million. Um, and like I did kind of double the first few years because the end of year three was 28 in AUM, but my business had AUM and subscription. So the point of all that is to get started, if you want to succeed, you may have to go outside your comfort zone and go to some of those traditional ways of building business, going to networking activities, you know, um, the, was the Toastmasters and like all those traditional things that are there, like they may not be fun. They may not be comfortable. I never liked them because I never liked the fact that it was like, I'll scratch your back. You scratch my back. Like, right. I want to wonder, yeah, like, where are the I, refer to, I refer to you guys because I trust you and you do a good job for my clients. I'll never ask you to refer anybody to me. And that the fact that you never send business to me or you may never send business to me will never slow down the fact that I'm going to send business to you because it's a relationship that is built on my client's needs and I trust you. Those are the relationships I want. The CPA I used to refer to, never asked them to refer me clients. The attorneys I refer to, never asked to refer me clients. So the way, I, my, like the way I'm comfortable going to those networking groups and just referring because we were in the same group doesn't fit me. But that doesn't mean it doesn't work. It doesn't mean that it can't be right for somebody else. So I think you got to explore those. And while you're exploring, build that library of content, build that SEO flywheel that will start kicking in with time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's got to be a mixture. Yeah, no, those are all great points. So I mean, with someone starting out, like, what would you say is one of the main traits that they need to have? Um, you know, like people say, oh, you need to be a great marketer. Oh, you need to be a very personable person. I mean, people feel like they need to be good at everything. But at the end of the day, like, what are some key traits or main things that or skills that you should hone in to be a good financial advisor in today's world? I don't know if this is a skill. I think it's more of a characteristic, but it's something mm -hmm. that you can develop and build. I think it's confidence. Because confidence solves all those problems. One, I think you have to be confident that you're going to succeed. You know, it's not guaranteed. It's, I'm speaking to those who start their own business. But the reality of it is whether you're launching your own firm or joining another firm with no book of business, you have to have confidence you're going to succeed. You have to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and for whatever reason, I've naturally been a confident person my whole life, and I will always bet on myself. So when I launched my own firm – with only a handful of clients, there's no doubt I was going to succeed. Like that wasn't even on the table. Mm -hmm. So confidence that you're going to succeed. Confidence in your skills that you can help people. You know, I actually recorded my daily pursuit podcast for tomorrow. 
and it's called imposter syndrome's a bitch. Sorry to cuss. Mm-hmm. But, no, it's all right. Uh, we'll put the we'll put the no, e on the episode. Good. There you go. No. There you go. It makes it look cool. It makes it look cool. It could, because it is. Yeah. Like you're, you, as, as a young advisor, or even if you're an advisor transitioning careers, and you've been you know a professional for twenty years, and now you're being an advisor, or you're making a transition, there's always going to be that doubt of do I know enough? Am I smart enough? Am I a good enough advisor? Or in the content game, you're just getting started and you look at Josh Brown who has a million Twitter followers and isn't even on Twitter anymore. And they have 100,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel. Like imposter syndrome is going to come up. You, the only way you beat imposter syndrome is you go back to your skill set and what your knowledge base is and you have confidence. So confidence that you are the expert and you can help people. Because especially as you're on social media, as great as it is to network, there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of trolls who are going to come at you and try to knock you down because they're unhappy. Yeah. You've got to have the confidence that you are a qualified advisor who can help people. Because um, at the end of the day, nobody wants an advisor that's not confident. You know, how am I going to trust you to give me advice if, if I come in and you're doubting yourself and you're shaking your recommendations? So I think confidence <laughs> helps it all. Confidence yeah. helps you in the marketing. Again, going out and creating content, putting yourself out there, you've got to believe in yourself because – it's very vulnerable to write a blog post or do a podcast or do a video and put yourself out there because criticism is going to come. you got to believe in yourself and know that you did the research, the information there is correct, and that what you're putting out there is valuable and helpful. So to me, it's confidence. Yeah. Um, you know, Some of us are naturally built with it, but I think there are things that you can do to build your confidence up. Like I'm a big believer in momentum. So setting mm-hmm. little goals and checking them off and building that momentum for yourself and then also going back to something like the AGC, surrounding yourself with a network of people who are going to lift you up and build you up. Um, yeah. So no, confidence that's... is there. I think you can build it um, if you don't have a lot of it right away. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big thing, man, is you do feel like an imposter. And Peter and I d- talk about it all the time. It's like, but as long as you have confidence, I'll never forget when we first started BC Brokerage, it was like we had not, we had just gotten a thing from the state saying like, you're a legitimate business. And here I am calling people like, hey, BC Brokerage, have you ever heard of us? You know, like, of course you haven't because we started a week ago, but just going <laughs> into it and believing like, you know, we have a message, we can help these advisors, we believe in what we're doing. And, and taking that approach, people can feel that resonate over the phone even, right? Like, how do you sound? Are you coming through clearly? Do you sound like you know what you're talking about? Because in the beginning, really, you're just asking for people, asking people for a chance. And then I think that translates to more expertise and people trusting you more and, and you kind of getting a little bit more of a presence. But confidence is key for sure. Well, you guys dove into videos early on. Yeah. And I, I do think that you know, of all the forms of content, even though I said I'm doing the newsletter first, video is my favorite. Yeah. Um, video allows people to see your mannerism, hear your voice, um, mm-hmm. and just kind of almost start to build that relationship early on. And also, you have to be a confident person to put a video out there. And so there's all these subliminal um, things that get kicked off from doing a video. So yes, you guys just started your firm, but you've been in the business for a while. I can see that you know what you're talking about. I like the way you look, you know, we're judgmental people, like for yeah. whatever reason, you guys didn't scare me away by your looks. So like that, you, you passed that test. As <laughs> it well. was Peter's hair. Had oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it, it's as much as that made, you know, looks shouldn't matter, but they do. Yeah. Um, so putting yourself out there, presenting yourself well, it may not resonate with everybody, but it will resonate with the people that you need. And what I always like to tell people, whether it's you all or advisors is, you know, what's your end game? Chances are you probably need 100 to 150 
really good clients. So when you go out and put yourself out there, content creation, whatever it might be, you're not trying to get everybody in the US or everybody in the world to like you and want to work with you. You're trying to get 100 people, maybe less. So surely of all the people who need financial advice to the advisors watching and listening, there are 100 people who are going to like you for you and the way you do things. You just need to let them find you and see you. And the only way you can do that is put yourself out there. Yeah. Definitely, man. And I think that's a big thing that is a, that's a huge takeaway. And I think everybody has to listen to that because it can be so scary, but I think the biggest enemy is sometimes is in our own head, right? Like you're thinking, oh, this is scary. Oh, I, it didn't look good. And in the beginning, it's like, oh, I put that out. Oh, I stuttered or I, or I don't sound good, right? It's not good quality, but it's like, it's at bats. You just continue to do it and you get better as you go. But if you never start, then it doesn't matter. If you, if you mm-hmm. spend your whole life or your whole, all your time trying to make something perfect, you're never going to get there. Well, and human beings aren't perfect. Right. So having videos where there are mistakes, where you stumble over your words, shows you're a human being. Mm-hmm. And I think that just makes that even more authentic and draws people to you. You're not faking it. I'm not, no. I'm not, I'm not a robot reading a script until I get it perfect. I'm a human being with a message to tell you, and I might stumble over my words. I might even use the wrong word. I've had videos where I was editing it, and I caught that I said, like, the wrong year. So I just flashed a graphic up that said the right year and, like, made a little joke about it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's real. And I think people want to see it. They want to work with a real person, not – a, a, you know, a robot as much yeah. as technology wants us to think that. <laughs> so, so in the spirit of being real, man, I have a question for you. What is the biggest, uh, what's the biggest thing that you're tackling right now in your practice? Because you've been around for a long time, but everybody knows things continue to come up. So what's one of those things that it's like, I'm tackling it right now. It's kind of a pain point and I'm, and I'm working on it. So I'm in a unique position where I turned into an entrepreneur and I turned into a creative person. That wasn't always that way. So I'm actually not trying to grow my firm. And I remember when I was starting, like hearing people say that, I'm like, shut up. Like, <laughs> I don't want to hear that. You, I'm, I'm struggling to find clients and you've got too many. Yeah. Uh, but that's where I'm at. And, and part of it is I, I have a lifestyle that I want to live in. Right now, I, I turned 40. So right now, my priorities are the clients that I have. But first, it's my family. And it's now it's even moving myself to a priority as well. So I don't want to sacrifice my family. I don't want to sacrifice myself. I don't want to sacrifice my clients for the sake of growth. And I also had this interest of building this brand of pursuit that is a continuation of my beliefs as a financial advisor, but open-ended for everybody. So, you know, the pain points I have at the firm are how can I keep on providing more and more valuable services to my clients without needing to grow the team. Um, and then how do I pursue this next thing um, and do it in a way that's really meaningful? Because I have a, I've a, been a serial experimenter as far as businesses and content. And while that's been a great because it's prepared me for the po- point I'm at now, this idea of pursuit that I'm building I really think will be something big and I want it to be meaningful. And the beauty of it is I can do that and RLS Wealth and AGC all at the same time without sacrificing too much. So there's a little bit of pain point of juggling these three things, but I've, I have shed a lot over the last year to where I'm in a good spot where I can do it all and I'm not as stressed or working as hard as I was back in 2021. Um, not every advisor is going to get there. 
the other thing that I think is top of mind is, you know, how do I continue to be an innovative advisor for my clients and the handful that I take on from time to time? Thinking of like crypto assets. All right. Not every advisor wants to go down that path. I'm comfortable going down that path. How do I do that in a responsible way for my clients? How do I help them? Um, and how do I kind of blaze that path, but maybe not being too far out there to where, where I'm like the sacrificial lamb that regulators go after? So mm-hmm. uh, I always want to be an innovator. I always want to try. And then I always want to be able to come back to the advisor community and say, hey, I tried this. Here's what I think. Or I didn't try this, but here's an idea that I have that I think advisors should pursue. So I don't really have any pain points per se. Just those are things that are that are top of mind for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all great points. So, I mean, when you, I mean, a lot of your career and seems to be giving back now um, and also, you know, sharing your experiences of how you've built your business and your career. Um, and I think it's just so interesting because it resonates with a lot of people. You know, they started at one part of the industry. Um, you know, now they're in a different part. Um, but I mean, what is like your goal with it? I mean, what is like the one thing that you do want to change or like your legacy? Like what's the one thing that, you know, you want people to know if Justin Costelli did this in financial planning? So I, I used to, I used to like have a goal of having something that I could look back on and how I changed the profession. And I kind of lost that And, and not lost in a good way. Like I shed it. Like I don't, I don't want to be calculated with what it is that I do. Um, I just basically want people to look back and say that I was a good guy and that I helped people out and that I gave more than I took. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoy talking to other advisors. That's part of how the AGC came to be. When Taylor and I had that idea, we both went back and we put together a, a spreadsheet of over 300 names, basically 150 each of advisors that we had had Zooms and phone calls with over the previous year and a half. Just picking brain conversations, having conversations, talking shop. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Um, I think part of it too is when I came into the profession, I never thought I would find myself in a position of leadership within the profession. And I'm, I'm low. Like there are people who are way, way, way ahead of me. Um, but I would be lying if I don't find myself in a, in a position of leadership and inspiring and helping adv- other advisors. And I, and I love that. And I want to embrace that. So I just want to make an impact. You know, one of the things that, I can't point to me, but I would like to think is a little bit of me is when you go to conferences now, the, the dress code is a lot more laid back. And one of my goals when I started my, my, started my firm was I wanted to piss off the old guys. So I started going to conferences and I would wear graphic tees under blazers and Jordans and t-shirts. And like, I'll never forget. There's a picture of me it. at inside, at, at a, I think it's inside ETFs. It was in Miami uh, Brendan Maluli and I are coming up the escalator and I have a Jesus Shuttlesworth t-shirt on and some Jordans and my tattoos are showing and like everybody else around me is suited up. Um, but you go to conferences now and it's, it's a little bit more relaxed. I'd like to think that a little bit of that was that I kind of changed things a little bit, but my big goal was I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to shake the profession up. I wanted it to be more relaxed, more mm-hmm. human, um, and if I'm being honest, I, I don't have I don't have the reach of some people in our profession to be able to, to do that by myself. But if I can do that with a few advisors here and there and they go to help other advisors do that, like I just want my thumbprint somewhere on the profession in a positive way. When you look back, I can say, yep, those little things like I had a small amount of influence on it, but I'm not 
I'm not so egotistical to think that I can have a huge impact on the profession. And I'm okay with that. I just, I just want to know that I help people and that people liked me because I was there and willing to help. And that's just naturally who I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that that's fantastic. Man. And as a from a guy who also has tattoos, like I've got a big piece on my shoulder and arm. I'm like, I saw your sleeve. I'm like, hmm, it's making me think. I think I even I reached out to my you. Sleeve. Yeah, I just finished my sleeve. I know, I, man. I'm it looks awesome. Years old and took it all the way down to the wrist. Yeah. Um, and the and, and the thing is, I haven't lost a single client over my growing tattoos, my <laughs> love of hip hop. Um, because at the end of the day, those are things that for some people it might matter. And those people aren't good clients of mine. Yep. Um, but for those that I've worked with and those that work with me, that's not, that's not important to them. So, um, mm-hmm. they know who I am and they know what to expect when they come in. And when they come in, it's exactly what they thought it was going to be. And, and they're okay with that. Yeah. No, I would love to see more tattoos around the advisor community. There you go. I know, man, <laughs> it's, it's, it's inspiring. I was like, I was talking to Peter. I was like, uh, he, Justin's got me thinking again, man, because uh, it's yeah. been a while since I got one, but he's got me thinking again. When we talk about some of the different things that make people tick and inspire people, right? Some of the things that you hear are money, freedom, impact, recognition. What do you think are the real things that in daily life, when you wake up, you're like, this is why I work. This is why I do what I do. This is what's most fulfilling for me. On a selfish level, for me personally, it is, it is freedom. Um, I want, I want to have the freedom to do whatever it is that my heart desires. And I have that right now. And, and truthfully, we mentioned Thomas early on and, and he knows this and I've had it on a podcast. Part of the reason I wanted to help him launch his firm was I realized growing RLS wealth impacted my freedom. And mm-hmm. a, I felt he needed to be out on his own so his wings could, could spread and he could fly and do and his he's own killing thing. it. He's killing it. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, but I also knew that I knew he would be better off, but also in a selfish manner, having him as an advisor at my firm was impeding on my ability to do the things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So selfishly, I want to put myself, I always want to be in a position where if I want to try something, I'm able to do it. Um, when it comes to the greater good, my main word is impact. I just want to make a positive impact on people's lives, whether that's my clients um, or even as something as simple as like smiling and saying the cashier's name when I go through the line at Target or Kroger. Like, do it and see what the response is of that individual. Because they've probably seen a thousand people that day that just look past them or on their cell phone. And just that slowdown of treating them like a person and saying, hey, I see you, makes an impact. That's all I want to do is I want to impact people's lives. I want people to, to leave being around me saying, you know, he made my life better in one way or another, but whether it be he helped me reach my goals earlier than I thought, or he made me smile, or he made me feel confident that I could do this thing. Like that's what motivates me. Um, and, and that spills into ev- like a lot of things. Like those are the underlying things that kind of make their ways into all the things that I do. Um, the things I do have to have those two components to it. Yeah. Now that's amazing, man. Um, this has been this this conversation has been everything that I could have possibly expected to be and more. So I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time um, to get on here and talk to us. I mean, there's so many great pieces within that conversation that I think people are going to find so valuable. But I want to make sure that people keep up with you because I certainly enjoy it. Where where can people find you, man? Yeah, I'd say the best place to go uh, would just be my personal website, which is so weird to say that I have, but <laughs> hey, it is what it is. So it's. It's justincastelli.io. 
is my website. And that will take you to everything. It takes you to RLS Wealth, to the AGC, um, and then Pursuit. I don't know if it's on there yet. I have this new kind of passion project I'm working on called Pursuit. So that website is prst.co. Um, and I don't think I have that on my personal website yet because I haven't got my web guy to, to bring it over. So that will take you everywhere. And then on Twitter, it's just Justin Costelli, jus one zero. C-A-S-T-E-L-L-I, although I am spending less time there than I used to um, and spending more time in the AGC. Um, so I'm still on Twitter, but not as much as I was. Very cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the, the Only Fee Only podcast. It was an absolute blast to get the chance to talk to you, learn from you, um, and we'll look forward to keeping up with you, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Justin. 